Hello, friends and listeners of the LeaderCast podcast. This is Mo, the producer, jumping on really quick before this episode starts to let you know that we are going to be wrapping up season one of the podcast. The final episode in season one will be coming out on April 23rd. We are going to be coming back with an even better season two later this year. Stay tuned on our socials for updates as we know more, and thank you for being an avid listener. I landed in West Lafayette, Purdue. And I was shocked, didn't know anything about the weather. So I landed in a t-shirt on December 28th, 2000, five feet of snow, one of the worst winters in Indiana. So it was a very rude, welcome to your new life. Welcome to the LeaderCast podcast, a weekly deep dive into the stories that transformed our guests into leaders worth following. I'm your host, Joe Boyd. If you've been enjoying the podcast, thank you so much for being a listener. One simple thing you can do to help us out is give a review wherever you listen. Today's guest is Dr. Radhika Dirks. She is the CEO of X-Labs, which is a moonshot factory using artificial intelligence to solve the world's biggest problems. She is in high demand in year 2023. We are super excited that she was part of our program at Human Intelligence, and you're going to love this episode. There's a lot to learn about artificial intelligence and the person behind it. You're going to love meeting Radhika. Dr. Radhika Dirks, welcome to the LeaderCast podcast. It has been uh, my pleasure to get to know you a little bit over the last couple of weeks. Thanks for speaking at our event. And then uh, we got to have a call this week as well. So uh, excited to have you on. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Joe. Yeah. Uh, you're uh, obviously uh, a busy person these days. You probably always have been, but I think uh, the world is suddenly very interested in your line of work. So I want to go back and and talk about Little Rodica and what you're into and what kind of person you 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 were as a kid. But before that, can you just let the world know like what what you're into these days and and what your sort of job is, for lack of a better way to say it. Absolutely. Uh, so I'm into AI. I've been into artificial intelligence for almost a decade now. And I've been in sort of the larger computing and tech world. Uh, it, well, it feels like all my life. Yeah. Um, but really, you know, the past 20 to 30 years, I did my PhD in quantum computing. One thing led to another, became an entrepreneur in the AI world. Uh, so these days, uh, well, I guess the last five or so years, I've been the CEO and founder of a moonshot factory called X-Labs. We are the only uh, independent moonshot factory, perhaps the only other one outside of Google X. And from there, we've spun out a few projects, and the most successful of it is Ribo AI, where we use AI to find cures for 11 different types of cancers. Which is awesome. Could uh, I think intuitively, I sort of know what a moonshot project is, but could you just explain what that mm -hmm. phrase means for folks? Absolutely. Um, so it's a really interesting term, and you know, each person uh, thinking about moonshots might think about it differently. My favorite and the definition we use at X Labs is that which, when achieved, changes the perception of what is possible. Mm. And I like to, you know, the namesake, man going to the moon, you know, the entire, um, the Kennedy theme mm -hmm. has a lot to say about this because when we went to the moon, we didn't just achieve space travel, but it suddenly opened up an entire new generation of how people thought about what was possible 
know, the final frontier is now conquered. Um, And of course, there was massive economic repercussions, like 13 new industries were born and Hmm. multi-billions of dollars were made. And these are all the things that come along with the moonshot. But really, the thing that gives me goosebumps is the entire slew of generations that grew up with um, you know, the space odyssey and Star Trek mm-hmm. and Star Wars as sort of their moral and uh, cultural upbringing, right? And that's what a moonshot is. And I find it super interesting now, you know, flashing a little into what's happening into the world today. In many ways, with the explosion of generative AI, we are very much on the brink of a moonshot coming into life. Yeah. It is changing the perception of what we're doing. Absolutely. And I want to talk about that. I'll uh, I try to keep this to a half hour, so we'll we'll get to it because I have like, uh, luckily we're friends now because I have a lot of questions. I'll just ask some of them on on my own if I have to. But uh, let's let's learn a little bit about. Uh, I love to start. You know, I'm a I'm a story theory nerd, and I just love the idea that we're all on our journey. And uh, a lot of times, even we don't realize the journey we've been on until we until someone starts asking us questions, and then we we kind of see it. So, could you take me back in time, which is not as far back as I would have to go, but back to when, because uh, you, you're younger, when you were uh, a, a kid, like, I'm, I'm always curious, what kind of kid were you? How did you grow up? What was your family like? And then what was, what are your earliest memories of something kind of burning in your heart, something you wanted to do, some adventure you wanted to go on? Mm. Uh, what a great question. Um, I grew up in India uh, many decades ago. And uh, I grew up in a very open family, you know, very open-minded, especially for an Indian family. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, both my parents broke their own like traditional norms as well. And I think that really helped because I was in a setup that encouraged open thinking, that actually encouraged thought to begin with, you know, forget open thinking, just thought of any kind. Yeah. And uh, we were always encouraged to be ourselves um, and I have a kid now, so I have a lot of these conversations right. with my mom, and she assures us we were just amazing kids. You know, we <laughs> never <laughs> we never gave her a lot of trouble, and that's so interesting because you ask, you know, in my head, I'm a rebel. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm a contrarian. I'm fighting against the world, and I often like to think about how far do those roots go, and to hear my mom describe me as a kid that really never got into trouble. Whereas some of my earliest memories were, for example, being shocked that when we would go shopping with my cousins when they visited, and uh, this was, you know, second grade, uh, so probably, what, like six years old, pretty young, I would say. Um, And I was shocked that my cousins would just ask, I want this, mama, I want that, I want this, I want that, you know, and I would be like, that is so impolite. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) As a kid, it's almost like I had these... Uh, norms of how to behave and what good behavior would look like. But at the same time, I also remember in eight, uh, actually when I was eight years old, for example, in third grade, um, I was already like people would very much describe me as a leader, Mm -hmm. um, sort of ahead of the class. Uh, It was important to me uh, to excel in everything, not just everything I do, but to excel in everything. And I think this too had a lot of, um, you know, family influence. My mom was very much um, on the artistic side of things. You know, she was very social. She was a singer, a dancer. 
And my dad, uh, who shared a lot of these characteristics, actually, but was an engineer. Mm-hmm. So it was like this blend of both worlds. It yeah. wasn't enough for me to just excel in science and math. But it was important to me to be great at dancing and um, debate and uh, really anything. Um, so the atmosphere I was in, my school had a lot of competitions, for example, and I would participate in every single one of them. <laughs> and I had to ace the science competition, the science exhibitions, and I had to ace the fashion shows. You know, so I think that really helped. Wow, that that sounds, you, yeah, that could also get exhausting, right? If you have to be good at everything. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it is. Cool. And I <laughs> I think in many ways, you know, I, I really hope um, we don't have a set reserve of energy. You know, right. uh, <laughs> part of me is also a yogi and I like to think, oh, we can just draw the energy from the yeah, universe. Yeah. But if it's true that we have a set store of energy, I used a <laughs> lot of those. <laughs> I think pretty much by the time I was 30, 35, I yeah. was like, done, you're done. <laughs> well, you definitely, you know, from what I'm getting to know about you, uh, some folks have a little bit of like, I don't know the right way to say it, but like a world changer, almost uh, virus that lives inside of them that they just, like it just grows in them and they can't, they can't not imagine a life where they aren't at least trying to make a big difference. Um, and a lot of folks who don't have that, but they end up making a big difference just because they're true to themselves and they do their thing. But, uh, and I've, I've already seen with you, I think the assumption I would have around you before we met was you're more of a scientist kind of person and you obviously are, but I've also seen that you're a poet and an artist. And, uh, I, I can see all of that as grown up Radhika. Uh, I can see the, the grown up version of that little kid. Hi friends. My name is Mo and I'm the producer of the LeaderCast podcast. We loved having Radhika at our LeaderCast Human Intelligence event. If you missed it, we have a surprise for you. To introduce each speaker to the Human Intelligence stage, we wrote a little song for them. And because we got such great feedback on them, we wanted to add it to this episode. For those of you who missed the event or just want to hear the song again, give it a listen. Radica Dirks is ahead of the curve. She's got brains, she's got guts, she's got plenty of verb. Says AI is the future, it's her expertise. And guess what? I wrote this jingle with ChatGPT. No apologies if that gets stuck in your head. Okay, back to the episode. Developing world-class leaders in your community is now easier than ever with LeaderCast. In addition to our flagship May event, becoming a presenting partner allows you to stream multiple events per year, each with an opportunity to earn money. The new LeaderCast lets you invite 1 to 1,000 people with unlimited streaming opportunities. Check out more at LeaderCast.com or the link in our bio. So I'm curious as you, you know, as I guess maybe I I would assume because you're a good student and all academia was pretty important to you even growing up. Do you remember processing through career path and like wanting to make a difference? And did did you have a pretty linear line as a kid to get to what you wanted to study and know about? Um, How how did all that come about? Mm. Uh, Wow. Very interesting. Yes. Um, I was one of those kids, like even as early as third grade, where everyone would describe as Radhika knows where she wants to be in five years. Yeah. Like she has a five-year plan. She's headed there. 
And um, so I would say it was pretty linear for the most part till about high school, sort of the transformative years. Yeah. And I would say at 17, things just completely shifted uh, because what I realized was the path I wanted to go on. So essentially I was very much drawn to understanding the mysteries of the universe, which is why I became a physicist. But a big part of me, the, the world-changing virus, um, was already telling me that it wasn't enough to just learn about the mysteries of the universe and discover new things, but to bring it into the hands of people, like make it, make it practical so people can experience these mysteries, like you know, a combination of discovery and invention, if you yeah, will. Yeah. And um, at 17, I realized that uh, I really wanted to do research. But in India, it, India has great engineering schools, like some of the world's best, like IIT, for example. And but you are not you're not exposed to research right away. In order for me to get my hands on actual research, I would have had to finish my undergrad, my master's, and then if you're lucky, you get to actually do research. And it just so happened, you know, this is growing up in the '90s, so yeah. thankfully we had the internet. I'm Googling, okay, Google didn't exist. I am AOLing around. Okay, yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I realized that, oh my goodness, in the US, um, kids are exposed to undergrad, uh, to, to research during the undergrad, the mm. REU program. Yeah. And, you know, I, uh, that just opened up an entire world for me. I was sort of economically speaking, my family was well off, but mm. not, we were, you know, upper middle class yeah. in India, I would say. Um, so it was, not out of the question for me and probably even expected that I would go to the U.S. for my master's because, okay. you know, there's scholarships you would pay, you know, you get paid for. And I come from a family like most Indian families where education was really important. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you're pursuing that line. Yeah. But it was out of the question for me to go to the U.S. as an undergrad. Yeah. The international fees are, you know, ridiculous compared to Indian money. And more importantly, I did not know a single person in the entire country. Mm -hmm. So something started happening there. And I think those, that age, that age uh, when I was 17 was so formative for me. And I just had this calling or it, calling is even too concrete a term. Yeah. I knew I had to go to the U.S. Mm. And, and the world just opened up, you know, it, it happened. So at 17, I landed in the country um, and went to undergrad at Purdue. Wow. So um, had you visited the U.S. before? No, I had okay. never visited the U.S. My mom had visited the U.S. when I was in eighth grade. She was actually an ambassador, a cultural ambassador okay. for um, Rotary Club. And so she had visited many of the cities, New York, Boston, yeah. places in California. And she would send me these photos uh, and she brought back, you know, toys. She described what it was like. And I thought it was really cool. Again, a place I knew I was headed. Um, and I really identified my, my family still jokes. And, uh, you know, my mom is convinced that I was just born in the wrong country. Yeah. <laughs> so in many ways. Got some American uh, <laughs> in it. Yeah. Well, you, Very I, much. I mean, I've been on Purdue's campus. I would, uh, it's not New York or LA. It's, it, <laughs> oh my it's Indiana. So, uh, and it's a college town. It's cool, but it's, it's, it's not a huge city. So, and I'm, you're a very smart person. I'm sure you thought of this before you got here, but did, did you feel like you were in America when you landed at Purdue or did it feel like something else? Oh, that's such yeah. a, you've hit on a very important <laughs> moment in my life, really. Yeah. 
You see, I was so focused on finding the best university for research. At that point, I wanted to do astrophysics, learn the mysteries of the yeah. universe, but also double major in aeronautical engineering, the sure. sort of like, you know, the practical, the engineering. Aspect. So I only focused on schools that were good at both. You see, Purdue has had yeah. one of the most number of astronauts. It has a fantastic <laughs> astro uh, aeronautical program. Um, and it's really good in physics, too. So I was focused so much. And, of course, affordability. You know, the Ivy Leagues. I didn't even apply to a single Ivy League. Mm -hmm. It was completely out of the question. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I focused on the sort of range of, you know, schools that were good only in academics. Completely forgot everything else about the weather, <laughs> the scene. I come from Chennai, which, you know, when I left back in 2000, had about 25 million people. So huge city. It's the fourth biggest city in India. I don't even know what the numbers are today. Um, wow. So I didn't know from that. there. So that's New York. That's like New York. Right? It's huge. Yeah. It's yeah, huge. Yeah. Huge. And I landed in West Lafayette, Purdue. Sure. <laughs> and I was shocked because my only exposure to America, for the most part, culturally speaking, was the show Friends. <laughs> I grew up on Friends. Yeah. And imagine my surprise when there are no skyscrapers. Like, where's my coffee shop? Like, where are where are these people? Yeah. <laughs> it was a brutal shock. Okay. I also come from a place where there's no snow. And of course, I didn't Google. I mean, I didn't, yeah. you know, search for the weather. Didn't know anything about the weather. So I landed in a t-shirt on December 28, <laughs> 2000. Five feet of snow. One of the worst winters in wow. Indiana. <laughs> so it was a very rude, you know, Welcome to your new life. <laughs> yeah, that's all. that's great. I mean, it's a great. Uh, I love it when because I'm a. I used to produce some movies back in the day. I've had I've had several lives of my own self, but some of the scenes. Sometimes when people see a story, you can just see that movie scene. You know what I mean? It just it's so vivid. Uh, so you know, that's all your surroundings. How was it socially? Were, were you pretty quickly able to like make friends and fit in, or no? <laughs> oh, that was the other thing. I forgot, you know, 25 million. And yeah. I mean, in India, it's hard to even find private space. You cannot, you cannot think without being surrounded by right. five people <laughs> touching some part of your body, right? <laughs> Whereas I come to Purdue, it's December 28th, which means three days after Christmas. Nobody's there. So it's winter break. <laughs> it's winter break in Indiana <laughs> in a college town. There's no one around. And it was it was one of the rudest shocks of my life. So I walked around campus when there's no one, all the buildings are shut. Um, and it wasn't until Jan 8th, um, almost, you know, 12 days later, when campus opened and the secretaries and, you know, the, some of the professors were floating back in. Uh, and so I... I knew, again, it was like a girl on a mission. I, I, the part I left was, you know, I, I mentioned the part that I come from, you know, upper middle class. Mm. But my mom, who was, you know, one of, has always been one of my biggest um, cheerleaders, supporters, a guide. Uh, she basically super encouraged this journey. You know, I, I feel like if I weren't from that family for a girl at 17 years old, you know, 20 years before our current time to just, go to the United States without knowing some anybody is, is I think unheard of even today in India for the yeah, most part. Yeah. And she basically said, well, here is a thousand dollar check. So, you know, with that t-shirt and the snow mm -hmm. and lack of a friend's atmosphere, all I had with me was a thousand dollar check. And she said, you know, I'll always be there moral support wise, but don't ping me for more money. <laughs> yeah. This is what I would have spent on you for yeah. your education in India. And that's what you get. 
Wow. And I gave her, you know, speaking about American, I gave her one of the most riveting speeches in my life. <laughs> I told her, Mom, America is the land of opportunity. We can make anything work there. You know, it was like the classic American dream yeah. happening to an immigrant yeah. outside of America. And, and it did. I mean, it was full of naivety and hope, but in a really good way. Yeah. And, you know, I cannot complain about it because here I am, you know, I made it work. You did, you did, yeah, you so did. So I did, I didn't have, uh, I didn't think about it as fitting in or making friends to yeah. answer your question. I had a mission. You I had driven. to find a scholarship. I had to find a job. I had to figure out rent, um, tuition, all of that stuff. So, and get a degree um, and do research, the yeah. main reason I came for it. So I was just kind of gun ho um, making it work. And in my experience, um, that, that keeps happening to me somehow. I have these draws. Yeah. And believe it or not, the world shows up with the right people. And they may not seem like it, but in my experience, big or small, the right opportunities, it, it opens up. You know, it's, uh, I found that people, it's, it's like a yin yang or chicken and egg or something, but the people that think that way, that happens to, if you know what I mean? Uh, like it's something about, something yes. about believing that I don't <laughs> manifest as a weird word, but something about believing it yeah. sort of opens your eyes to looking for that and seeing it as you go. Yeah. Um, so, uh, well, I could talk forever, but we got to get to, to your actual career. So, um, I, I'm curious, uh, I'm sure we'll skip a bunch of stuff when I say this, but what, what ultimately got you into AI and interested you in that? Mm. Um, and if there are any, I'd be interested if there were any sort of barriers, whether it was cult cultural or whatever that, that stood in your way, but why were you interested mm -hmm. in that and how, how did that come about? Yeah. Um, long story short, I, I take a lot of mini retirements, like between every big move. So I finished my PhD in quantum computing and, um, I then joined Shell because I was uh, kind of poached for the skills I'd built during my optical quantum computing career. Yeah. But I always knew that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. So I was also sort of moonlighting as a COO of a company, a data analytics company that had started. So two years after my career into Shell, I was a corporate VC, actually started the venture capital group. I had this moment where I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur, uh, do some world-changing stuff with all the talents I have. Uh, the sort of using the talents that I'm given has also been a theme uh, in my life as I was reflecting on some of the yeah. questions you had sent in preparation. And uh, so I did a mini retirement. We basically, my, my now husband, uh, then uh, fiance and I, uh, left on a camping trip across uh, the country uh, for six months and we're just staying in all these national yeah. parks whatever and um, I realized that I wanted to move to Silicon Valley and become an entrepreneur and I wasn't sure in what but I knew that the answer would sort of come to me uh, and it didn't I, it really didn't <laughs> yeah. uh, at that point I was a uh, I had these, you know, uh, I always like to keep in touch during these sort of mini sabbaticals, if you will, but like to keep in touch. And I was an advisor for a quantum computing company. And they said, uh, hey, why don't you come on over and meet the team, spend some time in Canada where they were based and be our CEO. And I said, um, all right, you know, it wasn't the path I was, I thought I would be on, but let's do it. 
But jet lagged uh, en route to Canada, I woke up with what felt like this needs to be my life mission. I had a vision of an AI algorithm that would uh, help figure out massive instabilities in the world, like predict societies, if you will. Mm-hmm. And I, it was, it's lucky, you know, my uh, husband is sleeping right next to me. So I wake <laughs> him up. He would then go on to be my CTO. And I said, this is what we're going to do. And for 12 hours straight, we're in the guest house of one of my best friends. We spent 12 hours and they're bringing us coffee because they could tell <laughs> something massive was happening. It was amazing. We covered the entire walls with, you know, uh, paper, brainstormed. And that would become Selden, my first AI startup. So I always like to think that, you know, I didn't, I didn't pursue AI. For me, pers- uh, AI has always been a, a way, uh, a tool, uh, one of the techniques, something you use, you know, a sword to slay the dragon yeah. versus, uh, oh, I need to learn how to wield this tool. It just so happened that AI was the way to do it. And, you know, we went on to predict great things like, for example, the rise of ISIS. Wow. That's really impressive. And at some point along the way, you're, you're helping cure cancer as well. That was after that then. The, the, the that was part. after that. That okay. was after that. Yes. Yes. Uh, but you don't, you, you asked about like the cultural, like, you know, did yeah. it ever, I never thought of it that way. Like, you know, being in technology and physics um, in India, I was one of four girls in a class of 50, the, you know, the, the yeah. group that studied computer science. So I've always been, you know, and same thing with the physics uh, honors program at Purdue very few number of women, but it's never, never stopped me. I never thought anything of it until I came to Silicon Valley. And I think the entire culture, like, yeah. okay, uh, one of these is not like the other, right, yeah. <laughs> was slowly became very evident. And I like to live in, you know, I think any, any good CEO and founder spends a lot of time in the world they want to create almost like a fantasy world. They have to be there. You've got to draw from there to create and bring it to the reality. Yeah. And I think I spent so long in this world where I refuse to see the biases, refuse to, you know, uh, the, the cultural archetypes or whatever people expect and how I didn't fit. Uh, I think that that might have hurt me, honestly. Yeah. Well, y- yes, I'm sure that was difficult, but I'm, I'm also sure it shaped you to, to be who you are. And, and, uh, I, I can't help, but so part of why I wanted you to speak at our event, uh, human intelligence was intuiting from the things I saw of you online and, uh, your agent doing an amazing job of selling you. Uh, I, it, it wasn't a hard sell, but I, I, I wanted to address, I want us to address artificial intelligence with someone that had had some sort of history of believing it could be used for, for good and using it f- mm. for good. And that seems mm. like very consistent from a young girl. You wanted that. Um, yeah. and you know, uh, I, there's a small example of my own life. This is nothing like what you've gone through. I'm sure in the last couple of years, but I was way into this, uh, this thing called the Enneagram 20 years ago, which is sort of like mm. a mystic Myers Briggs. I don't know if you're familiar with it at all, but it, it's, mm. it's, it's 2000 years old. Um, and it was like my party trick that I could talk about that nobody had ever heard of. And then like three years ago, every major corporation in the world was using it. And people would ask me, hey, have you heard about the Enneagram? I'm like, that's my thing. So um, <laughs> that, that's just like 0.1% of what you've gone through. But my assumption is in your life, we all knew AI was coming and we've seen science mm. fiction movies. And we knew that 
we probably sort of knew maybe AI is involved with Google or something like, but in the last 12 months, it has definitely like crossed the sort of the, the roller coaster hill, right. For people that aren't in that world, knowing it's a big deal. Um, mm-hmm. And it feels like it happened real fast, really fast from folks like me who weren't in the middle of it. Um, first of all, I, I have to assume there has to be some frustration in all these sudden AI experts <laughs> that have just emerged. Uh, but what, what, I would, what I would love to hear, and you talked about this some of your talks, so, so people can hear that, but um, as we are in this world where it's now a popular, you know, it, it, is, it has reached a level where normal people, for lack of a better word, are using it. Um, can you, I'm going to quit talking now, let you talk. Can you talk about uh, how you, that your passion to use it for good permeates and how what what do you want to tell people like me that are just messing mm. around with chat gbt and all this kind of stuff mm. yeah um it's it, it, to me that's been such a strong driver this using technology uh for good uh very at a very young age i remember in ninth grade i was in a debate and uh, it was one of the it was one of the debates and talking where you know talking about failures mm. the debate where i lost Mm. And, you know, you have to, going into the psyche of uh, ninth grade Radhika, there isn't a lot of things she loses. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it was, and I did a fantastic job. Like, you know, at one point I had the audience close their eyes and imagine this world. And the topic of the debate was, is technology evil or good? Mm. And I chose the side of technology is one of uh, the biggest uplifters of humans. It is, uh, it is almost, you know, um, one of, one of, you know, three big ways where we can ascend our consciousness. Hmm. And I was so, uh, it, it, if you look at the history, you know, from agriculture, pottery, printing press, genetic engineering, uh, nuclear energy, um, all the way through, we have always, you know, it has, it has uplifted society in many ways. And of course, there are many problems that each of these revolutions right. create. But somehow we figure it out. And for the most part, we're better. Um, that's been my worldview. Now, ninth grade, this debate. And of course, I picked the side that, you know, technology is good. And it's not inherently, actually, the point was a little more subtle. It's not inherently good or evil. I argue that it's in the hands of the people. Yeah. How you use it. Yeah. And, you know, an example that I used was a knife. And you can use it to cut an apple and um, mm-hmm. So your seeds, reap the harvest, blah, blah, blah. Or you can use it to kill a person. And the other side won. The other side won. And this kind of blew my mind. And I think it was one of those moments. You know, I think I I learn a lot from our failures. I think we all do because we obsess over them so much. So I tried, it almost became my life mission that one, bring these technologies into the world and show people that you can use it for good. Mm. Um, so when, you know, so I have been in AI, as you mm. said, for quite a while, and, you know, many of my talks, uh, and it's also why public speaking and sharing this knowledge is important to me. So I was doing yeah. that for a while. And it's always, it always felt like, you know, we were in this ivory tower or building, like you were magicians underground creating this thing. And I would come and, you know, give them a glimpse and talk about what, oh, look at this powerful brew I'm brewing. Yeah. But now... Like you said, to me, it's one of the best things about this AI explosion because the biggest new programming language out there now is English or 
Chinese or right, Mandarin right, or yeah. French or Hindi. You know, it's your language, which is amazing. So what I noticed about this generative AI explosion is the some of the big experts who are talking about it and using about it are non-AI folks. You know, because the yeah. AI folks are still kind of reeling in on what's really happening. Do we understand this? Is what is the right way to use this? You know, or just focused on deploying, like scale, scale, scale. Yeah. Whereas, um, you know, so the people who are coming <laughs> um, as the new AI experts are people who are just using it and flying with it. And to me, that's actually a good thing. Yes, it does feel like, oh, what is what is wait, how are you talking about AI? Yeah. Yes, there is certainly that. But I think it's one of the best things is now it's no longer you know uh where i'm at a party and talking about or at christmas and talking with my family about ai and they're like mm. now they're the ones sending me have you seen what i can do right. so i think that's fantastic yeah. i think that is fantastic and my um what is the right word my urge my plea uh my sort of big you know welcome come join this party to everyone listening and to you joe would be how can we use ai for good yeah you know i did this at the keynote but yeah. i would encourage all of us to uh or everyone listening to join and take this oath with me i wish more ai folks would take it where you know on stage at your event i stood up and took a live oath that no matter how i use ai I will think about the larger consequences and use AI only for good. Yeah. And I say this because many people who are using AI, you know, with the images and uh, creating content out there and, uh, you know, imitating styles or just getting inspired by styles, they're not thinking about the larger consequences, like the image of the uh, Pope in the puffer jacket that went viral. The guy who created it was just having fun. Right. Yeah. So... You know, I think we're stepping into a new world, um, misinformation, deep fakes, um, massive consequences about fake realities, um, you know, manipulation of people and data. These are all real concerns and they're happening at a pace that is unprecedented. We really haven't seen this. We throw around these words a lot, but, you know, uh, ChatGPT has had the largest, quickest gathering of users than any technology ever seen in the history of mankind. Anything before, faster than Instagram, Facebook, printing press, anything. So this is yeah, real. It's real. And so, we don't usually get the opportunity. Not everybody gets the opportunity to live in an age where that's something like that's happening. And uh, absolutely. so it's kind of overwhelming yeah, to, to us. And we see the, uh, the most, you, your oath, your keynote was very meaningful to me. The, what gave me the most hope was the you had a little simple sort of exponential uh, chart of kind of human advancement, I guess. I don't mm -hmm. know what you called it. Um, and seeing in the last even 50 to 100 years, the things we have created as human beings that could have very easily destroyed us, uh, you know, yep. nuclear energy or whatever. Um, and uh, that all those things were used for bad, but we on the whole found some ways to self-regulate. And to to uh, to control the power of them enough as a whole <laughs> to to see the good come out of it, and so that actually gave me a lot of hope for AI because I think all of us can get mm -hmm. a little kind of freaked out about it. And 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 uh, I do have one question. I I hate it when people ask questions that they could ask Google, 
Like that, that's a frustration of mine. Uh, but I did ask this question to Google, and I'm still a little confused. Uh, mm. What is gen- what is, what does generative mean when we say generative AI compared to what you've mm. done in your work? Mm. How do you explain that? Oh, that's that? a wonderful question. Yeah. Yes, yes. Um, so basically, I would like to think of it as the mental model for AI has changed. So in the past, you know, we think of them as prediction machines. You know, yeah. They find these underlying paths. And the truth is, if you look at the technology for generative AI, that is still true. Like, yes, they are using some kind of pattern identification to figure out, you know, yeah. patterns in language. But more, more, more importantly, the best way to think of them is that they're mimicking human language. So they're generating language. They're generating words. Gotcha. They're um, coming up with, they're generating images. And they're doing this with very little prompting because they have, they've almost developed a theory of mind. Uh, and if you look at research, they have. And theory of mind is how humans uh, simulate how the other person is going to behave. So, you know, right now I'm thinking, oh, what is Joe going to ask me? What is he looking for in this answer? Is this answer, you know, or what would be most useful to the listeners? And so we have an ability to simulate what the other person is thinking or what they want. And we're able to generate responses uh and you know some of it uh depending on the person is based in truth some of it is a little bit of fantasy uh but and then what the context is very much dependent on the circumstances is it business is it personal is it talking to a friend or a lover ai now is doing the same thing yeah should i generate this image in the style of dolly should I generate this image in the style of a virtual cartoon? Mm-hmm. Uh, should I give an answer on what AI is in the style of an epic battle rap or epic rap battle, right? So AI is doing that, and that's what is make makes it generative. It is almost like your auto correct or your auto filler, you yeah. know, on, yeah, on, yeah, yeah. Uh, on steroids. Oh, yeah. Well, thanks. Now I learned something I very practical. I hope that was more useful uh, yeah, that, than Google. Yes, uh, it was. It was great. You. Ironically, I probably could. I should have asked Chat GBT instead of Google. Maybe it would have been easier. Who knows? But you were the best yes. answer. But not everybody. Oh, thank you. Gets this opportunity. Well, talk. I'll tell you the biggest difference between Chat GPT and me. Chat <laughs> GPT will give you an answer that is very plausible, very confident. Um, yeah. But not always real, because yeah. it is generating these words based on the probability of it sounding. It's sounding good and sounding true, but also drawing your interest. Whereas, you know, someone like me, uh, I would love to say something, you know, completely out of the blue and not true, but I wouldn't do it, even though it might draw your attention, keep us talking more, make it go viral. I just wouldn't do it. So that is one of the biggest differences between (laughs) Judge and me. And you're more fun, in my opinion. So thanks for... We are out of time. I'm so sad. I could ask you a million more questions. You are on our platform. We did get some uh, backstage interview questions with you at our event that will show up on LeaderCast 365 for the folks that are part of our uh, subscription service. You can hear a lot more from Radhika there. Uh, and uh, we're going we're gonna to stay in touch and find ways to try to make the world a better place together. So I'm super oh, excited. thank you. Super excited. Thank you. And I'll have a link for the pledge yes. if any of you are moved to sign that with me. And, you know, it's in the works. I'll share it with Joe and he can put it up on We'll the put it uh, under this podcast, whether you're watching or listening, we'll put that link there for everyone. So join me. And thank you, Joe, for having me. It was such a pleasure. You're welcome. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you later. Bye. In today's ultra competitive job market, 
Top-tier talent are leaving companies in search of top-tier professional development. Now more than ever, you must invest in your emerging leaders. LeaderCast 365 is a world-class professional development system featuring access to three annual LeaderCast events, a post-event journey to activate the inspiration and insights gained from LeaderCast events, plug-and-play lunch and learn programs with group discussion questions, concise video courses to address weaknesses and build upon strengths, and our library of more than 1,200 short-form videos from a slate of industry experts organized into 16 key professional development categories. Invest in your all-star employees and attract new top talent to join them with LeaderCast 365.